Welcome to Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer. I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content for ACAMS, the world's largest membership organization for anti-financial crime professionals. In this episode, I talk with Willem Schudel, Head of Department of Financial Crime Supervision at the Dutch Central Bank. We talk about the DNB's current and future expectations for its regulated institutions with regard to fighting financial crime. With a number of the DNB's regulated entities undergoing remediation for past anti-money laundering issues, Willem and I talk about the central bank's focus on AI and other tools for effective compliance and its concerns about de-risking. I hope you find the podcast informative and that you'll subscribe to Financial Crime Matters either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Here we go. Did you know having the right corporate registry information can accelerate client onboarding and AML investigations by up to 40%. Speed up customer due diligence with NICE Actimize CDD-X. Find out more at niceactimize.com. See how SAS, the leader in analytics, is shaping the future of compliance and anti-financial crime through innovative solutions like AI, machine learning, and intelligent automation. With SAS, financial institutions achieve more than 90% model accuracy and reduce false positives by up to 80%. In a digital world where financial crime is growing fast, learn how SAS can keep you ahead at sas.com forward slash fraud. Fenergo's FinTalks podcast is bringing listeners like you the latest in reg tech compliance and anti-money laundering with insights from the industry's most influential voices and subject matter experts. With guests from the likes of the Financial Times, Refinitiv and Transparency International, FinTalks helps you keep up with the most important trends in financial services. Listen to every episode on Fenergo.com and subscribe to Fenergo FinTalks wherever you get your podcasts. Well, it's a pleasure for me to be here live. We're at the 2023 Europe Conference in Dublin, and I have with me one of the heads of the Dutch Central Bank's anti-money laundering, counterterrorism finance efforts, Willem Schudel. Willem, welcome. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. So there's a whole lot of things that we can talk about with uh, regard to the Central Bank, and I'm going to just talk about one that never goes away, and that is the de-risking issue the idea of uh, risk-based analysis for things. So tell me a little bit. There was a, a report that the central bank did in 2022 called Recovery to Balance, and it talks a lot about how all these banks that are under expensive remediation are now sort of also facing this possibility of in their risk analysis doing a lot of de-risking. Set up the report for me. Sure. No, happy to do so. Yeah, indeed. So this is a report that we published last year in September. And the reason for us engaging into developing this report was really uh, some of the developments that we saw in the, in the Dutch financial markets and in our supervision, to be honest. One of the developments that we've seen in the Dutch context over the past years is really that financial institutions have made considerable strides in improving their AML and CFT work. They've been taking the issue much, much more seriously over the years. And part of this is is related to also our attention, which has increased uh, in recent years. We've had a number of of public um, uh, settlements in that regard. So I think it's fair to say that that we really saw the attention uh, and the importance that uh, financial institutions in Holland give to this topic has, has increased. Now, that is in itself is a positive thing. 
But at the same time, we also see that this situation has led uh, to instances where there might be unwanted or unintended consequences. And de-risking, as you mentioned just now, is, I think... Well, you start to get penalties and people start to maybe knee-jerk re-deal it, uh, yeah. de-risk. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, well, they might say, well, we want to be in the safe side, so let's uh, let's de-risk some of these more, uh, more risky uh, customers. And uh, we've also been getting signals from some of these customer groups that this is happening. And then that also, well, was one of the signals that led us to think, well, maybe we should look at this topic. How serious is this? How big or how important is this de-risking in, in the Dutch context? How does this reflect on our view on what we think is very important, very key to our supervision, namely to use the risk-based approach. And one of the things that the report promised that I think maybe we can pick it up from there was that you were going to go out into the field and talk to financial institutions about the kind of risk report stuff going on and de-risking and all that. Tell me about those talks and can you give me a little yeah, preliminary I'll give you a bit, come out of I'll give you a bit of, yeah, I'll give you a bit of a flavor. So maybe it's good to, to separate. So we, we always speak with financial institutions in the course of our supervision, both from a supervisory relations side, but also from more policy, general, uh, general uh, risk assessment side. Uh, I mean, for the development of the report, we spoke with, with several institutions. But uh, I think what, you, uh, what your question is also referring to is what have we done since the, the publication of the report? Maybe just in a nutshell, I think uh, the three, I think, main messages coming from the report is that we uh, really want to enhance this risk-based approach, both from a financial institution point of view, risk management, as well as from a supervisory point of view. We want to give them more emphasis to do that well. We want to give more emphasis and support the use of technology. And thirdly, we want to make sure that uh, and improve also collaboration, because in the end, fighting financial crime is not something that one individual institution can do. This is something we need from different stakeholders around the board to do. Now, anyway, so once we've, once we've published that report, and we've announced it actually in the report, saying we want to engage again with the sector, we start with the banks. And since September, we've had a number of roundtable discussions with banks around three different topics. So the de-risking was one of them, the use of technology is one of them, and the risk-based approach uh, is one of them. And th- these discussions are actually ongoing, so we're not, we're not finished yet. We hope to wrap up these discussions towards the summer. But I think if you ask me really the results from this, from this discussion, I think mostly it's really having the discussion in itself is already a result. Because by doing this, talking in an open atmosphere about challenges that we see with the banks, we had a very open discussion. Uh, We really start to understand better what the challenges are on both sides. And this creates also a better kind of mutual understanding, right? You get less a confrontation or more more kind of an open discussion. So I think that is, that may sound like a a low-hanging fruit, but we, if you ask me at this stage, this is probably the biggest gain that institutions also feel open to share their concerns with us. And we understand better, so where in the current, in their application of of regulation, where are the problems and what can we do to follow up on them and and help them? I mean, I guess you've kind of laid out your concerns in the dialogue and then they've started to think about it and started to kind of act on those concerns and put in policies and procedures that reflect the concern about de-risking and about the risk-based approach. I think this is a difficult question I'm going to ask you. And is there a way, you know, I think people say the risk-based approach is dead. We want a prescriptive approach from the regulators sometimes. What does the risk-based approach mean? You know, is that possible yeah. to answer that question? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's and, and sort of with an example. or a diff- Yeah, sure, there's different ways you can answer that question. So I disagree strongly with the premise that the risk-based approach is dead. Yeah. Uh, I think I also disagree strongly that we should want to go to a very prescriptive system. I mean, the foundation, looking from the side of the regulator, really the basis of this is we expect banks and other financial institutions to 
want to play their, their role in avoiding money laundering and, and anti-financial crime. So there should be, we expect, an inherent interest and willingness to, to do whatever it takes to avoid criminals from using the financial system. To do that well, you also need, uh, we also want to let it be up to the banks for them to use their experience and their expertise to do this in an effective way. So I think a very prescriptive model doesn't fit that approach, and, and we don't have it, so let's be practical. On the risk-based approach, I think looking at it from my perspective, what we're really talking about is we expect banks and other financial institutions to first and foremost understand the risks in their portfolio. Look at the risk profile of their customers, uh, understanding where the risks are, where are they, where uh, the vast majority of the portfolio for most institutions will be low, but there's always going to be pockets in which these risks are high. What we expect from them is to first and foremost understand where the risks are. Now, once you've done that, we can uh, we expect institutions to follow up on that using their uh, their risk management framework uh, and their instruments that they have. And coming from that, you will automatically get to a situation in which institutions will be spending more efforts, uh, more time and more money in fighting and really chasing, I would say, uh, those pockets of their customer base where they believe the risks are high. And that, to me, is really the foundation of a risk-based approach. As opposed to that is an approach where you say, we're purely uh, 100% compliance-focused, really trying to get rid of any risk in our book. Because in the end, that's not what we want. We're not expecting uh, financial institutions not to be working with customers where there's no risk involved. It's part of their business model to deal with risk. And that applies to the financial sphere, but that also applies to, to the sphere. Uh, it is interesting that banks sometimes say, yes, it is our business to deal with risk. And, and then one of the things that you pointed out is the need to identify it, which is often something that banks don't do or properly do. But let me uh, ask you about, in arriving at the report, what was that the result of? There are customers that couldn't get accounts. There were customers who had limited services. And I want to dwell for a minute on, I think, because this actually creates a lot of sympathy, both even in the financial community in terms of de-risking, is that, you know, where do not-for-profits fit into that, too? I, I certainly know that was a big issue in Belgium. Don't know as much about that in the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah so, the, I mean, the messages we got from customer groups, they included profit, but also uh, not-for-profit groups, foundations, could be related to uh, religious groups, different times also of uh, professional bodies. So uh, they were quite broad, in fact. What we did uh, in, in one of the roundtable sessions that I introduced and mentioned before is we uh, invited them and the financial institutions, banks, first and foremost, to sit around the table and share their views and experiences. And I think this is really, was really beneficial because it allowed banks to explain to these customer groups why they see particular risks on the AML-CFT side in dealing with them and why they need also information. Because it's also one of the pieces of information we got from, from dealing with banks. It's customers complaining, saying, you ask so much paperwork from me, why are you doing this? Uh, is this does this lead to anything? Right. And having this discussion actually really opens up an understanding of why particular pieces of information are, are needed. So that was, I think, very, very useful in this discussion. And the other way around, by having this discussion, banks will learn more about these customer groups, how they work, why it is easy for them to get some types of information, get a better understanding of the risks involved with these particular groups of customers. So having this discussion has been quite beneficial into improve understanding and I would expect also a better calibration of the risk um, down the line. And this kind of uh, collaboration with financial institutions that you're talking about leads to this other question uh, about where the central bank is with public-private partnerships. You have done a lot of that and I think maybe is there more planned or anything, but Talk to me about the value and maybe some instances of what has been set up and what the channels are for public-private partnerships in the Netherlands. 
So in the Netherlands, we have set up an organization, a network, so to say, which is called the Financial Expertise Center, uh, FEC. In the FEC, we have different uh, stakeholders that are involved in AML, both from the public side and as well from the private side. So uh, from the public side includes uh, the regulator, us, uh, the AFM, um, and uh, national police, uh, tax authority. Uh, and from the private side, we have a small number of large banks uh, uh, joining that table. There's a number of, uh, under the, the, the umbrella of the FEC, there's a number of uh, projects being developed, uh, yeah. collaborations. And these are, uh, are decided upon by all the members collectively. The challenge there is to really find issues, problems, risks that are interesting for a large number of those participants. There's public-public collaboration, but also public-private collaboration. And uh, well, the feedback that we get from these uh, projects, some of which we also contribute to, not always, but some of the, we do that whenever we believe we have something to add to the actual project. Uh, the feedback we get is very positive and often very concrete. And I think that's, that's also, I think, important in this, in this realm of AML CFT. We can talk a lot about high-level policy, but I think the challenge really is in, in, okay, what kind of practical challenges do we see? What are the practical risks and how do we tackle them? And I think in these projects, we really get to that level. So um, just so that I understand exactly what you're talking about, uh, when you say they pick a focus, is it would there be a, a public-private partnership on human trafficking or would there be a, that kind of that thing could, yeah. or on narcotics? Yeah, could be different. different fraud, certain cryptocurrency fraud yeah. or something like that. Could be different topics. They could be more focusing on phenomena or they could be focusing on particular groups. So it will be, um, it's, yeah. it's quite varied. And every time when it's decided what the project is going to be, it's always, uh, well, there's always this virtual look around the table, so who wants to join? So it's not that always everyone needs, is joining. Yeah. It's really, we really see on, on, well, people, I would say, and, and organizations bringing in the relevant expertise. And I guess I would say, I would ask kind of, how do you uh, come up against GDPR with some of the information sharing that would happen here? And then give me some, are there some tangible results even that you can talk about from these broadly, even without specific? Yeah, so GDPR obviously is very relevant in this field. is something we also deal with. Uh, the primary responsibility, obviously, in the Netherlands is with the Data Protection Office, the uh, what we call the AP. So this is something that yeah, there's always, uh, this is a topic that becomes very relevant in those topics that require exchange of, of information. Under the umbrella of the FEC, we have a memorandum of understanding between all the parties involved. We have, so there's clear, and it's actually also um, it has a foundation in the law, in the Dutch law, on, on what kind of information you can share with whom and who's responsible. So that is something we have, a, I would say, a general framework, but also when we have specific projects, there's always this check on what kind of information can be shared uh, within the realms of the law. And there's always a check by, um, in fact, there's, uh, there's a group of privacy representatives from the different uh, participants that have a check on these things and make sure that whatever is done and shared is within the legal remit. Let's talk about multinational jurisdictions and cooperation and everything. And what are the issues that you're dealing with now in terms of multi-jurisdictional cooperation and what's not working, what is? So I think from the practical supervisory side, I think uh, many of these interactions take place over the, um, through the colleges uh, when there's uh, financial institutions opera active in different countries and we, we contribute and sometimes lead these colleges depending on the type of uh, and activities and, uh, and location of, of these instances. From what I hear, these colleges work quite well in terms of exchange. In terms of preparation for AMLA, uh, I mean, this is also more on, I would say, more on the, on the policy side has been so far, but we also on the, on the supervisory side are now starting to prepare ourselves for what, uh, what is expected from AMLA. 
One of the things that, that we focus on is, okay, practically, what is AMLA going to do? What are the, uh, uh, the, the, the so-called level two and level three arrangements? Uh, and what does that mean for us? And I think it's fair to say that uh, given that the actual start of AMLA is, is still a little bit in the future and also the start of the actual organization will, you know, will require... Uh, still also some time to be fully operational and fully built up. I think for us it's mostly about how can we contribute in the most effective way to AMLA. It will probably in the short run will mean more work rather than less work. I, I know that sometimes in, in, in the outside world it's, it's, it's perceived as there's going to be a, a supranational organization that means ah the national authorities will not all do have to do less. That's not our experience, particularly not in the beginning. Uh, but maybe even down the road where, uh, well, they might, each might have their own mandate and focus, but it will also, may also increase new questions and new ways of, of looking at the risk. There's also something we see from the Prudential experience, obviously, with the SSM. So I think it's important for us to make sure that we're ready for that. And this is a process that's currently underway. And I'll press you just a moment. Uh, anything concrete that you can say that if I look and you're moving around chairs, what would I, you know, do I say, oh, we've, they moved those chairs. Anything concrete that you can say about the preparation? Not moving chairs. No, 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 no say, I understand. I understand. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. we, uh, what no, what we did, I mean, we were, we recently reorganized our, um, our, our, uh, Yes, that means the moving chairs is such a pejorative. I yeah. just meant, is there something that I could look and see that you, yes. Yeah, so what we've done, I mean, from an organizational point of view, is recently we, uh, we, uh, reorganized our, uh, our supervisory, uh, teams. To give you an example, one of the, it's actually the team that I'm leading is now f- fully focusing on uh, cross-sectoral issues. This will really help us coordinate also between the different sectoral teams and the policy uh, colleagues okay. on the other side. That's something we didn't have before, and that was also done to help us prepare and, and really have dedicated focus on any preparatory work we need to do for AMLA. In thinking about concluding here, uh, we had just done a panel, and in that panel we talked about supervisory expectations and what you were seeing that was negative. What I didn't ask was what you're seeing that was positive. And I wonder if in closing, maybe a kind of a forward-looking, a little bit of, you know, optimist-pessimist kind of thing in terms of where you're sitting. What are you seeing that's bothering you out there in the, in the institutions that you oversee? And what do you see that gives you some hope? Starting with the positive, and I think that's important also for us as supervisors. You know, it is our job to focus on the risks and be critical, but I think it's also fair to say something about things that go well. I think looking at the Dutch context, because that's the one we're looking at, we really see uh, that the topic AML-CFT is getting more serious attention and across the board institutions are taking this much more seriously than in the past and becoming also more professional at it. So I think the direction is definitely positive. Yeah. Uh, so that I think is, is, is overall something important. Uh, less and less we need to explain, I mean, there's always exceptions, but less and less we need to explain why is this that we do this and why is it important and actually also in the interest of a financial institution. So that's good. I think that is, that is positive. I do think we need to become smarter. I mean, uh, well, we've seen developments where, especially uh, among the banks, they've spent enormous amounts of money and resources to tackle this topic. And, and I understand it, obviously, uh, looking at the, the recent history. But I think we need to move to, into a direction where we use our time uh, wisely. That applies to the financial institutions, but also, also to us. And what I'm positive about is this increasing understanding of the, of the international context of, of AML CFT. Uh, what has been so natural on the prudential side to, to always uh, to, to have this since the setup of uh, the SSM and previously, obviously, uh, the ECB, is that we increasingly understand that, you know, we have similar challenges in different countries. We need to reach out to one another. AMLA gives a practical reason to do so, but I would, I would go beyond that and say, well, it is in general a very uh, 
good idea and to reach out to other colleagues and learn from each other. What are you good at and what are the challenges that you're facing? We're often facing similar challenges. Sometimes they're different. And that can be, um, you know, we can really learn from one, one another in terms of how we deal with data to how we assess risks to how we conduct in inspections. There's really a lot to learn from each other's experience, and I think we can do more in that regard. Uh, but I already see this going on. That will also increase our effectiveness. We're not all trying to reinvent the wheel. We're really trying to build on top of each other's knowledge to become, yeah, to become a, a smarter and, uh, and more effective supervisory authority. Well, uh, it's interesting, too, that, I mean, we often hear the complaint that uh, anti-financial crime is kind of a whack-a-mole sort of thing where you put down one mole and another comes up in that sort of arcade game of whack-a-mole. But really, it seems like there's a lot of progress been made. The enforcement actions have been issued and then the coming of uh, a more unified European structure. So I, mean, I think it's pretty exciting, and I'm glad you were able to talk about it today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Kieran. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Willem Schudel, head of the Department of Financial Crime Supervision at the Dutch Central Bank. I hope you found the podcast compelling and that you'll subscribe to Financial Crime Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so that you'll receive an alert for each new podcast. Because Financial Crime Matters to me and to you. See you next time.